Welcome to episode four of Point of View with Barry Boyce, editor-in-chief of Mindful Magazine. I'm Heather Herlock, senior editor digital at mindful.org, and today we're talking about how mindfulness is being used to help people deal with trauma. 22. It's a number many people associate with veterans these days. That's because it's the number of veterans who commit suicide every day, according to a study done by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The suicide fact sheet on the VA website says that going through trauma or suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder makes people more likely to commit suicide. Just last week, a study came out in the journal Depression and Anxiety, suggesting that mindfulness practice actually changes the way the brain responds to traumatic memories. Barry, let's start off looking at trauma. That word means something slightly different to everyone. So I think the interesting thing to do before looking at trauma is to consider our situation as human beings. We're out in the world and very vulnerable. We have our toughness, but we also are quite vulnerable uh, in the not just psychologically, but literally. If you are driving a car and uh, somebody else hits you and your body gets thrown about, um, the body's going to get broken. And we experience first a lot of pain, but then our reaction to that pain Because as human beings, we like security. Because of that security, we like to uh, ignore our vulnerability. And when we get hit hard, um, it um, pushes um, our psychological buttons. So trauma is not just a physical thing. It's also a psychological thing. And both physical and psychological trauma lead to emotional reactions that you might not even be aware of, but need to be part of the healing process, too. Yeah, it's really interesting that, um, you know, I've talked to various teachers who have done uh, mindfulness training in corporate settings, sometimes with leaders like CEOs, and the CEOs come because they want to increase their performance and effectiveness. And then after they practice some mindfulness for a while and start to get in touch with their thoughts and emotions a little bit more, they discover that there are deep-seated traumas down there that are uh, unacknowledged and that have a big influence on, on their thinking and way of being and bring along with them a lot of stress. For example, maybe their father yelled at them or maybe even beat them constantly when they were a teenager. And this formed their uh, whole way of being. And, um, you know, they begin to under, under, uh, uncover that. So, you know, many of us will have traumatic events and it's that not only happened once but may have been repeated and that's something I want to talk about there's 
having a one-time traumatic event, such as a car accident, but then there's the damage we suffer from repeated traumatic events. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a scale there from uh, verbal abuse to uh, physical and sexual abuse and to the threat of death and to war and chaos. And when those events get repeated over and over again, um, they cause an extremely deep level of trauma. And it's interesting, we talk about it as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but that's tricky in a number of ways. First off, many people believe, and I am among them, that it is not technically a disorder <laughs> in the sense that if you've been s sexually abused or violated, um, if you've been in war where you've uh, seen people killed, you've been maimed yourself, perhaps you've been responsible for taking others' lives, and you're in the midst of a threatening environment that has you hypervigilant 24 hours a day, every day, for months and maybe even years on end. There's nothing disordered about the reaction you're going to have to that. That's more than our gentle, vulnerable, little human body can take on board. So all sorts of things start to happen. So first off, it's not a disorder. And I think that's a very important point. Um, if somebody who's suffering from PTSD feels it's a disorder, uh, it's a double whammy because they're already feeling disoriented and bad about themselves, and now they're being told that there's something wrong with them. By saying it's not a disorder, I don't mean to imply that it's not a mental health problem. Um, it, it, you know, it is a problem of your mental health and well-being, for sure. Um, most people go through an undiagnosed period where they um, self-medicate and um, they have uh, extreme difficulty with anxiety. They can't regulate their emotions well. They can have fits of anger or sudden bouts of depression. Um, they can have manic phases. Um, Hypervigilance. Um, you know, just sitting in a cafe and then hearing the clink of a, of a coffee cup across the room can cause you to jump. Um, you know, these kinds of symptoms 
if one is in the middle of the situation, the traumatic event, um, it becomes the environment that they're that you're used to, and then when you get pulled out of that, such as you're in a war zone and then you leave, or you've been going through years of abuse and you leave your abuser, um, there's usually a period where of adjustment to the new reality, and um, you're now in post-traumatic stress, but you don't recognize it yet. And you have all these symptoms, so you get very scared, obviously. You know, if you're hypervigilant, your emotions are all over the place. Also, people in your life uh, may not be able to handle it and not know what to do for you. Uh, and very commonly, people contemplate and succeed in committing suicide. I think one of the first things to recognize, to come back to what I was saying earlier, is that trauma is something we all know and understand. We are highly sensitive beings, and as safe and secure a world as we've managed to create for ourselves in the modern world, with our climate-controlled comfort, uh, we are still incredibly vulnerable. And lots of us um, end up being damaged or abused. And uh, the rest of us tend to ignore that until it happens to us at that level. But we all share in this world that um, where our vulnerability meets various kinds of dangers. So it's not just something for a select few. Lots of people think about the word vulnerability, though, as a negative. But you seem to be talking about it as if it's a collective human gift that mindfulness can protect. Yes. Yes, I th very much so. I mean, vulnerability... Our vulnerability is something that's uh, inevitable. It's just simply physically true. At any moment, we are vulnerable. Um, we're not made of solid iron. <laughs> um, and if something falls on us, we break. So first of all, we're vulnerable in that way. We're also vulnerable in that we have feelings and we feel our way through the world and um, all sorts of uncertain events occur in our lives um, that we need to navigate. So if we were in completely invulnerable, we would be able to plan our lives out and have it work out perfectly exactly as we planned um, one safe step after another with no uncertainty and no waywardness whatsoever. Of course, that wouldn't be life, would it? 
It certainly wouldn't be fun. Yeah, exactly. There's no joy there in any case. So it's like the difference between a real flower and a plastic flower. Part of a real flower's beauty is that it will wither and die. It's vulnerable. It's alive. So to be alive is to be vulnerable and open. But it naturally carries with it um, the danger that um, we could be subject to a very extreme event or a repeated series of extreme events. So I think it's interesting then when we think about us all sharing in this vulnerability and possibility of trauma and pretty much everybody at some level has experienced some kind of trauma or another in their lives and some of us many more traumas. Where does the practice of mindfulness fit in? And I think that it's important to recognize various uh, phases of working with trauma. And they're identified differently by different people, but um, I think in terms of three basic phases, the uh, acute phase of trauma, the trauma has either just happened or in terms of post-traumatic stress, you're um, coming to grips with it. You're starting to deal with it. And the most important thing there is safety and uh, stabilizing. So, for example, in working with, um, say, a veteran who's um, come to uh, a mindfulness course, um, recognizing either themselves or because they've been diagnosed by a professional that uh, they have anxiety and extreme difficulty in emotional regulation, um, they're hypervigilant, uh, they have a loss of sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you just say, okay, let's sit down and meditate for two hours, paying attention to our breath, that's going to be pretty hard to do. If, think if you just came out of a car accident and somebody said, okay, let's just, here's how we're going to deal with this. We're going to meditate for a couple of hours. Um, that's not going to work that well because trauma, psychological, whether it's psychological or physical, it all ends up in the body. So a lot of the practices of for the uh, acute phase have to do with uh, working with body and breath and movement, getting us to uh, breathe deeply and begin to be able to re-enter our bodies. And um, that can help slow down some of the speediness of mind that comes with all the anxiety, you know, and the, all the raciness of our thoughts. If you're just sitting there, it's easy for your thoughts to 
race, we can calm ourselves down by a lot of uh, body techniques. So certain kinds of yoga and, and breathing and movement are very helpful. The next phase, some people talk about it as, or I think of it anyway, is the phase of connecting with yourself now. You've calmed down your hyperreactivity enough that you can begin now to connect more with what's going on in your own body and mind. And to be able to do that uh, with non-judgmental acceptance, you begin to see the kind of triggers that set you off. You begin to see how your thoughts can form to create um, and foster uh, anxiety and hypervigilance. So the basic uh, relaxation that you get from breathing practices and basic mindfulness practice opens the door for you be, to be able to see and understand your emotions with more clarity and spaciousness. And um, as Zindel Siegel likes to say, it provides insight. So it's not like these emotions and feelings aren't going to happen. It's about how you respond to them. Yes, first of all, you're becoming familiar with them. And then um, it is about how you respond to them. And understanding that it's happening and allowing it to allowing your anxiety to develop a bit um, that has a freeing effect in and of itself uh, because we have a tendency to pile pain on top of pain when we respond to our fears with more fear and more anxiety, it just builds momentum. But with non-judgmental awareness, we can actually see it and diffuse it. So it's more than recognizing that you're having these emotions. Mindfulness allows us the insight we need to help us not get caught up in them. We need not just insight, but we need to develop habits too. Uh, practices and habits that uh, begin to provide um, prevention and begin to interrupt some of our negative mental habits. Um, so, you know, to use a simplistic example, the habits you have around sleep, you may have an insight about why it is you have trouble getting to sleep. So it's one thing to have an insight. It's another thing to have a practice for winding down in the evening um, and get a, uh, creating the conditions where you can get a better night's sleep. Uh, you may notice that 
you uh, binge eat uh, because of anxiety. So it's one thing to have that insight. It's another thing to have a practice um, to begin to um, interrupt those habits and create new habits. And I think this is where the third phase of connecting with others. Um, I mean, the first phase is like getting yourself back down on earth in the first place. Second phase is connecting with yourself. And the third phase is connecting with others. Now, it's not as if others aren't around and you're not connecting with them in the other phases, but here it becomes more available to you. Some people talk about this as uh, developing a healthy tribe so that um, in terms of your habits, um, you're not having to do it solely on your own, but you get help from others and from the environment of others. So for example, if binge drinking is a big problem for you and that you were suffering from undiagnosed trauma for several years, um, maybe your buddies who always want to take you out for all night drinking benders are not the best folks to be in your tribe <laughs> when you're coming out the other side. <laughs> um, so that, that this phase is about uh, relationship building and building, um, building a rebuilding a community for yourself. So a good healthy tribe is, is really helpful. And here where mindfulness can fit in is in terms of um, what some people sometimes call relational mindfulness um, and kindness meditation, for example, where you open yourself up more to others. And you gain not only from being helped by others, but from helping others, um, from developing your own compassion and compassion really begins the real seed of it is not thinking that you have some sort of special problem that isolates you from everybody else but you begin to see oh we all have this vulnerability and we're all exposed to traumas and that opens you up to other people and then it opens them up to you and what what develops over time and can in, in, increase and strengthen over time is our resilience ultimately our resilience is the strong part of us that goes along with the vulnerability uh, resilience means that we have bounce back. Um, so our false view of the world tells us that we're going to be able to get through unscathed as if we were not vulnerable. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we're vulnerable, but we have tremendous bounce back. And 
we have to understand that, you know, you're not going to bounce back instantly from uh, something that's um, extremely traumatic. Uh, time heals. Um, so a lot of the programs for working with people with PTSD, but also for training those people like first responders um, who are going, who we know are going to be dealing with very traumatic and difficult events. A lot of those programs are based on cultivating resilience. Um, how you can um, extend how much pain and difficulty you can take on board uh, and be able to breathe through it and stay on earth. Not necessarily gut your way through it. And how to know that when you're damaged, you need time to heal and come back. Um, humans are incredibly resilient and um, that's one of our greatest features. One thing I want to get down, just a final thing, is to say it's, it's really vitally important for all of us to never forget uh, those others who are suffering around us, including those people who are suffering from trauma. We have a tendency, all of us, um, as human beings, we're so attuned to finding comfort that it's very easy to forget the pain of others. And frankly, the more that we can appreciate the pain of others on a regular basis, the more resilient we are altogether because we're not going around with the false notion that everything needs to be absolutely hunky-dory for us to have well-being.